You're listening to Halfway There Christian Stories with Eric Nevins, episode number 142 with Carrie Jenkins. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Halfway There. I am so glad that you've downloaded and you're listening here today. If you're listening on the day it comes out, that would be a a Tuesday right after Memorial Day in 2019. And yeah, I decided to go ahead and push the episode back just a little bit because it was national holiday here in the United States. And I want to just take a day of rest. I was actually spent the weekend with my mom in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, so for my friends uh, around the world, um, I live in Denver, Colorado, which is kind of in the Western middle of the, of the United States and uh, Albuquerque or New Mexico is South of us. And so I drove down there and saw my mom. We um, went to a bunch of sites where Billy, the kid used to roam. He was an outlaw, uh, killed a bunch of people including a couple of guards. And so the building where he was imprisoned uh, is still there. And I'm kind of a little bit, I would not say a hardcore Western nerd, right? But just, I've done some research, I've done a little reading, and I just kind of find it fascinating. Um, You know, imagine what having a gunfight in the middle of the street would be like. They actually did that. Billy the Kid shot the sheriff um, in in Lincoln, in that town. So I, I was there. Um, that street once was called by the president of the United States, the most dangerous street in America. That's kind of interesting. So anyway, I enjoyed that. Just a little, let you a little bit into my life there. Um, and I was gone. So we got back yesterday and I thought, man, I don't, I don't have the energy to do an episode. Uh, so we'll do that, that tomorrow. So those of you who are outside the United States and like to listen, uh, sorry about that. The national holiday here uh, delayed us just one day, but Hey, I'm super glad that you are here. So a couple of the things I just want to uh, mention, and then we'll get straight into the interview. First of all, last week we had uh, Mark Shelsky on the show, and he was generous enough to donate uh, two audio copies of his book. I know you guys love audio because we are, um, you know, you're listening to podcasts. So you're, so you're probably listening in when you're working out or we're working in uh, doing, doing a work or, uh, driving something like that. So auto audio is really great. He was nice enough to do that. Um, and I just went live on Instagram. So if you're not following halfway there on Instagram, go do that so that when we do these things in the future, you'll be able to be included. Um, and I drew two names. So we had a contest where everybody who commented and let me know what you think of the episode, would be able to be eligible for the drawing. And we drew two names and the two names were Tim White. Uh, and I've been in touch with him. He's going to get his copy of Mark Shelsky's The Wisdom of Your Heart. And then also uh, the other person was Mary 94, Mary J 94. So I reached out to Mary. Hopefully she will uh, reach out to me back and we'll get that all set up. Mary, if you're listening, uh, check your messages on Instagram uh, or message me. And we will make sure we get that copy to you as well. So Mary, you, by the way, said it was the first time you listened. And wow, that's awesome. What an honor. I'm so glad that you listened to this conversation. And I hope you go back and listen to a bunch more. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Um, and I don't say that uh, to brag, but I'm, I am proud of some of the conversations we've done. I know I've grown a lot and I think you will too. Lastly, I want to welcome a few patrons to the uh, fold because if you remember, I recently launched Patreon for Halfway There and Patreon is a platform where you can support artists, people who create stuff that you enjoy that uh, they give away for free, like a podcast, and you can go ahead and support them in a financial way as well if you feel so moved. So if you do, if you've been praying about it or thinking about it, um, feel free to go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, hit that support button. It'll take you to Patreon. You can just sign up. There's a couple of cool bonuses. Number one is a, at any level, you will get a bonus conversation for, uh, each month. I'll have one extra conversation for you. And then also, um, if you do $25 or more, I will send you a free halfway there podcast t-shirt. 
So yeah, we got swag now, which is kind of cool. It's on there. It's also halfway there podcast.com. Just hit merch and you can see that. Like if you want a halfway there t-shirt, that'd be awesome. That'd be super cool. I just ordered mine. I'm going to get it uh, here shortly. I will, I'll do an Instagram live when that comes out. I, uh, I will put it on and we'll do an Instagram live and just show it off a little bit. So, all right, there's that. But I wanted to thank some of our patrons because, you know, I, I appreciate that you took the time to go and do that. So three people, first of all, uh, my friend, Matt Young, Matt, thank you so much. Um, you blew me away. That was really generous. And I appreciate you supporting what we do. You're not only a, a good friend, um, but you're a patron. And I, I can't say thank you enough. Um, deeply grateful for your friendship. Uh, also Tom Yeager, Tom, thank you. I don't think I know you in real life, but you are awesome because you stepped up and uh, decided to go ahead and support the show on Patreon. Thanks for that. So I hope you enjoy that extra episode. If you do, let me know what you think. Comment on it. I'd love to hear about that. And then last but not least, uh, maybe one of my favorite patrons is my mom. So I told you I was down in Albuquerque hanging out with her. And I was like, mom, I'm doing Patreon. You should be on here because your mom, right? You know, she should support you. And she did. She jumped in as well. So thanks, mom. Um, you know, you gotta, if you can't get your mom's support, what are you doing? What are you doing wrong? Right. Okay. So there's all that. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening. Let's get into this episode. It's a good one with Carrie Jenkins. She's an author. She's a spiritual director, and she's also the executive director of Urban Sky, which is a really interesting ministry here in town. She has an interesting way that she got to that um, to that position. She'll tell us about that, and man, she tells us a couple stories um, about just listening to the Lord and about learning to trust Him that I found really moving, and I think you will too. I hope you enjoy it. Here's our, here's my conversation with Carrie Jenkins. Hey, Carrie, welcome to Halfway There. Hi, it's great to be here. It is great to have you. I'm excited to have this conversation. And uh, you've got uh, a really cool book, which I know we're going to talk about. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing and what we've, we've actually heard from somebody at Urban Sky before, which is cool. But tell us about your role there and what you guys do. Um, our vision with Urban Sky is that we envision cities where every person has a pastor and every tribe has a priest. And... So for me, that looks like um, going into the parts of the world where, um, in the parts of cities, where the local church um, just isn't present, people who don't have a, have a pastor. So whether it's a pastor themselves or it is um, someone who is in prison or someone who is in a people group that would never step foot into a church um, we get to go be priests and pastors within communities and people groups, um, around the city in which we live. Yeah. What I love about that is it's different than what we might think of as traditional ministry, right? Yeah. It's not, you know, okay. Every church has a, has a pastor. It's every tribe has a, has a pastor, right? Like everybody, yeah. there, there are groups out there that are maybe underserved, and uh, trying to fill that need. I love that. Yeah, it's really been a gift because there's really no um, competition or felt competition with the local church that sometimes can, you know, feel it's we have a deep love and believe in the importance of the local church. But there are just some places where there isn't enough resource within a yeah. uh, a church staff or even um, well the time to be able to go out and to be amongst people. Uh, yeah. And sometimes the building itself is a hindrance to people just mm-hmm. going to be in a building right. that represents something that's either been painful or or they have a stigma or an idea about that may not yeah. may or may not be accurate. And you've probably heard this as much as I have. People are like, hey, if I if I go to church, you know, there's going to be a bolt of lightning. Right. Like yeah. there, there's this feeling that some people have that uh, they're just not worthy. And so they, they just stay away. And that's mm-hmm. and uh, so if you can kind of get past that barrier. Um, that's good. Yeah, you know, I, I've been really impressed lately. One of the things I've been working on is a is a little thing called the business of soul care, mm-hmm. where we're trying to help soul care professionals uh, with the business end of it. And uh, we're doing that because we realize that really, like spiritual formation, doesn't scale as a as a wow. ministry. Right? It's not a thing that you can do for four hundred people on a Sunday morning. It's got to be 
a one-to-one thing and therefore it doesn't, or a small group even, but it just doesn't make a huge impact. There are little ripples here and there, but they end up having a big impact. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, that's one of our callings. One of our, one of the things we're trying to do and say, Hey, this, these people need to be served, right? You've got to, we've got, we got to give them the, the things they need to go out and be an entrepreneur. And so urban sky is sort of like that, right? Sort of a entrepreneurial in some ways. Yeah. It's a place where people get to experiment of what discipleship can look like in the world instead of within a, a particular venue. And um, like you said, um, spiritual formation and soul care work isn't necessarily scalable in the business sense, but as when it comes to um, like actual impact on the life of a person, which then has actual impact on the life of the people around them, it's remarkably scalable, but it's intangible. It's not something you can formulaic and it's not something you can go, Oh, I can do this for a thousand people at one time. And so it's a, it, it's not a good business strategy, but <laughs> yeah. definitely a really, uh, when it comes to transformation in the lives of people, it's, it's remarkably important. Right. It's great, important work. Yeah. I've wrestled that a lot as I try to do even something like, uh, marketing the, uh, eight day experience that I talked about at the, at the beginning, right? How do I, how do you market something that really what you're trying to give people is an encounter with Jesus? I can't promise. Okay. I hope so. I can take you to scripture. I can take you, but I got to trust in God and in your heart to kind of show up. So it can be kind of nebulous and difficult, but uh, it is such important work. So important. So anyway, I love that you're doing that. How did you become executive director? Because I think that's kind of new, right, for you? It is new. It actually just happened in um, January of 2019. So I'm a solid three months in. And uh, I came under the organization in 2015 um, just out of a common really heart and love um, with the founder executive director at the time. And, and so he was transitioning out of full-time kind of directoring into another, into another uh, vocation and, um, and needed someone to take his place that had a similar heart and asked, asked the board and asked me if I'd be willing to step in. And, and for me, there's an element of, of wanting to invest in people who are investing in people. And so mm. um, there was a willingness to, to look at the position and say, this is something I, I would like to be a part of because of the fact that I, I want to see people thrive in their work. Yeah, I love that. Friends, I think we just heard a little bit of Carrie's heart. So I want to invest in people who invest in people. Like that's yeah. that's part of your calling. I love that. Okay, well, I want to hear a lot more about your story. So let's go back or whatever we can cover in a few minutes here. Okay. So, because um, I'm always aware, I don't, know if, I don't know if people know that, but I'm always aware like we spend 45 minutes or an hour together and like we've usually only scratched the surface, right? Because you can't do, mm-hmm. you know, decades and decades in one one. uh little hour, but, um, we try to cover what we can. So let's go back. So where, I don't remember if you're from Denver or not. I think we've talked about that before, but are you, where are you from? Um, originally Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, the great state of Nebraska. All right. I'm from Iowa. So we have a lovely, uh, rivalry with Nebraska, but we are, yes, all Midwestern. So that's why I like you. Yeah. Well, it's easy to like Midwesterners, (laughs) you know, from the heartland have good football teams. Right. (laughs) Great corn, you know. Yep, great corn. Oh, man, I miss corn. <laughs> so, uh, okay, you grew up in Omaha with the great zoo there. What uh, what was that like? Were you, was it a Christian family or, or not? Yeah, my um, I actually grew up in a really strong, not just Christian family unit, but kind of family heritage. Um, my, my father taught at a tiny private Bible college in Omaha, Nebraska. That was... Um, I would say pretty fundamentalist, very, um, in a lot of ways, legalistic. Um, and so, you know, no movies unless it was a story of a believer. Um, <laughs> okay. Or a Billy Graham movie, which were very popular in the 80s. Uh-huh. Um, or not, not a lot of influence from 
from the world. I, I went to public school, which I kind of always thought was it was interesting, just considering the fact that I was I was sheltered in so many ways. But my parents would send us to school with this idea of you get to go and be light in the world, and that is important. Um, and so um, my my parents are believers. My my father. Um, in his family, his brother-in-law was a pastor. His nephew was a pastor. His nephew's kids, there's a pastor and a, a youth pastor and a worship pastor. I mean, and my mom's side, it's their missionaries and pastors yeah. and all that. And I jokingly say it's a family business. But, <laughs> um, uh, you know, we're a lucrative bunch. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a, Heritage I didn't know was unique growing up. I kind of thought that's like if you loved, were a follower of Jesus, then this is what life looked like. So right. um, my mentors were college kids that my dad taught. My babysitters were college kids that were a part of this. Um, one memory that just kind of I feel like it encapsulates my, my experience as a child is my sisters and I decided um, – that we needed to put on a vacation Bible school together one summer. So I was seven. My, <laughs> my next oldest sister was eight and my oldest sister was uh, 11 at the time. And um, I was in charge of crafts and my other sister sports. And then the Bible story, and we made a, a, a little thermometer and raised money for one of the college kids that my dad taught who wow. went on a mission trip to think Liberia that summer and he ended up passing away um in an airline crash that summer oh man um, before you could give him the money before he could give him money oh wow and um my parents drove us to uh to Wyoming where his funeral was so that we could give his mom our money that we had raised wow and um I didn't know at that time how significant that was for me um but it's a story that I go, that's what my childhood was. Like I, I played and was creative and Jesus was, was mm. present in all of that. And so wow. I am. Um, and I, I just think it's great that my parents took us to the funeral and allowed us to be a part, like knew how important it was for us to go and remember and to give the mom this money. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, that's a really special kind of moment. And yeah, I wonder if as a kid, like you probably don't understand that at the time, but later you look back and go, oh, yeah, that, yeah. like when, especially when you, know, you get older and you kind of experience those kind of things, how significant mm -hmm. those times are, you know, um, interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's, you had some good parents. I, I had some good parents. Yeah. That's amazing. You know how rare that is? <laughs> um, it is rare. Yeah. Sure. That's good. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So you grew up kind of with this f rich faith tradition heritage in, you know, the, the Midwest. What, like, when did your faith become your own? Like when, how did you, because inevitably for all of us, right, we have to make these decisions where we're going, okay, am I going to follow or am I going to not? Or, you know, how'd that happen for you? Honestly, I fell in love with Jesus um, as like a very tiny person. Yeah. And I remember, I have a memory of when I decided I wanted to love Jesus back. And I was four years old. Wow. And I never, so I didn't question it. Uh -huh. I questioned, uh, I questioned things like, oh, do you have to say a certain prayer? Do you have to, like, what does loving Jesus look like? More like the, the experiences around and the how to's, um, uh, of that, I definitely went through seasons of question of, I don't know, but my love for Jesus, um, it feels like, uh, it feels like it has never mm. left me. Yeah. And it was always there. It was always there. And I, like, even as a, as a little tiny person, I had this tradition of every night I'd go to bed and I would blow Jesus a kiss and I'd tell him I love him. Oh, <laughs> I did that all the way through. I mean, there's, I still have a tradition of like, I'll wake up in the morning and go, good morning, Jesus. And, you know, I'm 44 years old and I'm still waking up saying, morning, Jesus, <laughs> like you're the first thought. And so it doesn't sound spiritual to me because it's not like 
uh, this very deep, profound prayer, but it is this recognition of, oh no, we wake up and we, and I, and I see you in the morning and I go to bed and you're there and I wake up and you are there. Oh, wow. So. um, Well, but that's a cultivated awareness of God's presence. For sure. From the time you were very young. Yeah. So did you, like, what was that like in your, let's say your teenage years? I mean, yeah, because you had to learn how to walk with him, I'm sure, in some in some ways. And, you know, a lot of people go through that and they like either have moments where they kind of push back or they feel like or they have moments when they go, they feel God's presence and they, you know, for whatever reason, God teaches them something like do you have any, anything like that happen to you. It doesn't have to have. It's OK. You know, I um, My teenage years. I I remember asking uh, one of the people that was at my church, how do you hear the voice of God? Mm. And their response to me was, they, they kind of laughed and they said, well, when you get an answer to that, um, let me know. <laughs> and they were supposed to be this like, spiritual figure. And I was so dissatisfied with that. I, I was 15 or 16 when I asked the question. And I'm like, somebody has to know. Someone has to know what it is to hear the voice of God because wow. I think he's talking to me and I want to know how I know it's him. And um, so I started getting really curious about that with adults in my life. And I, yeah. I um, found myself really a- a- attracted to adults who I could see something. I could see it in them. I could see uh gentleness in their spirit or I could see Jesus somehow in their eyes or in their story. Um but it was it was really challenging for me to find a person who said, this is how I cultivated a life of listening. Um yeah. well, I actually didn't find that until much, much later. But that was probably the biggest like spiritual mark of going, oh no, there's something here. And and I want to know what it is. Yeah. Well, I find that fascinating because I imagine growing up in Omaha wasn't too much different than growing up two hours east in uh, Des Moines, right? Like mm-hmm. pretty much the same. We, you know, I had very similar questions in high school. Um, not quite that, but more like, where's the power of God? I read this in the in scripture. Where is it? I don't see it in our church. You know, like what? I don't see people's lives being radically changed. I don't see mountains being moved. You know, I don't have these kind of questions. So I get that. And I can look back at it and go, yeah, that's powerful. So I can, I see that in your story and I know that that's where you're going. So you had those questions right, like right away, kind of early as a young person. Do you see that that kind of led you on a journey, kind of set you out on a journey of trying to find how this works? Sure. I don't think I knew that I was on it at yeah. the time. Uh, like looking back, I go, like, oh, my book is called Listen and Live. Apparently something was in me about listening. Right you know, a long time ago. Um, and so I would collect stories or um, probably not even knowingly, but I, I am pretty insatiably curious as a human. And so when I get, um, when I want to know something about something, I, I become, um, I just want to be curious almost in a way that's completely 3D and um, in, uh, in all spheres. I want to be curious about all of the layers. And so I look for um, examples in scripture. And so when I would read scripture, I started to go, well, what, was it, what were they saying without their words? What were their actions? Mm-hmm. The people who are in the story, how were they heard, hearing from the Lord? Um, because scripture doesn't say, this is how you know the voice of the Lord. This is how you hear him. This is how there isn't like a, a manual of 10 steps to listing well. Um, but there are a lot of examples in scripture mm-hmm. of people who listened or heard. And I wanted to hunt down anything that I could. And so I think through that, um, whether it's through scripture or finding people that were asking similar questions, I remember meeting a woman who became a mentor in um, in my mid twenties who uh, who would hear from the Lord, and I just wanted to be around. I wanted to be around that. Um, 
And then realizing like, oh, a lot of people hear from the Lord and they don't recognize it as such. Yeah. They don't recognize that they're actually, what they're responding to is, is the prompting of the spirit within them. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to have to ask you to explain that because I think that's true. In fact, I, I just literally just said this last night to a friend. I said, I think I'm learning to listen better. And I think God is often saying things to me and I'm starting to recognize that as the voice of the Lord. So like, this is really present in my life, uh, like really pertinent in my life right now. But I know that our friends have that same question, right? Because you and I aren't alone in this. You know, with, uh, a lot of people read the Bible and go, well, if that happens then, how come that doesn't happen now? And, and if you grew up in a quasi-cessationist, you know, worldview where God only speaks through Scripture, you know, maybe that's a problem, right? Or maybe that's not something that people even have access to. So how does that actually work? What do you mean by that when you say God is always speaking to us? but we just aren't always aware that that's him. So explain that. Um, for me, that looks like in John 10, 10, where, where it says the thief comes to kill, still and destroy, but I have come to you. I might have life and have it more abundantly. That for me is my basic rubric for learning to listen to the voice of God is what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Is it going to lead towards something that will eventually kill, steal and destroy or is it something that's going to lead to life and life that's abundant? So life that will actually reproduce life into something else. So, um, so for me, that's, that's kind of how I began to weigh it um, when I would hear something. And not always is it um, the voice of God directive, um, like do this, go here, be there, say this. Um, sometimes it is just a very small whisper about who, who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a thought that pops into my mind that um, makes me like pause and be curious. Maybe it's something that I have prayed and praying for and going, Oh, I'm not sure why I'm praying for this. Um, so in 2006, I, um, I had moved from working in the, in the local church to, um, really what ended up being the beginning of being like more of a freelance kind of neighborhood pastor. I, um, and in that process, I really feel like the Lord trained me in learning to listen. Um, and I decided that if I heard something three times that I was going to respond to it. Mm. So if I had a thought three times and I thought that it was good and it would lead towards good, I would either allow myself to believe it and hold on to it, like this is true for me. I would test it with things that I know are true of Scripture, or I would do something if there was an action attached to it. And um, that just became almost like a testing ground for me of like, okay, is this really? I don't know if this is. And and I'm really, um, I'm still pretty reticent to say, I know this was the voice of God. I will say, I believe that this could be the voice of God and that it is leading me towards good, and I'm watching something reproduce and going, oh my gosh, this really is beautiful. This is leading towards goodness, truth, and beauty. Um, and, but I, I have, this is a little off, but I feel like I need to say it. Um, I have also seen people abuse. I've, I heard the Lord. Mm-hmm. I heard the word of the Lord and it told me this for your life. And it told me this, like, oh, I, the Lord's telling you to do this. And I'm like, God, well, you want to test it. Is the Lord telling you to do this? Right. Right. <laughs> um, That's why that little process that you just went explained is so valuable, right? Because we have to go, you know, is this what God's saying? I, I love that. And the, is it, you say John 10, 10, is that the reference? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because Jesus says you'll know you'll know them by their fruit, right? So I think that's even true of what God has to say to us. So does this lead to life? Does this lead to to you know something painful? Um, is this where is this where God is is going? Um, and then test it and find figure out with Scripture, with other people, with other things. Yeah, that's. I would say even for me, like some of the things that have led towards life have actually led me towards some. Through some of the more painful things. Sure. Yeah, well, I can see that. Like. Is it going to destroy something? Terrible. Um, is it going to um, actually destroy something that needs to be destroyed in me? Yeah. Uh, right, right. There's a difference, right? Ooh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So give us a fun prayer. Right. Give us an example of a time when you felt like God said something to you that you had to, you know, evaluate, test, take through that process. And you found in the end that, yeah, you think that was God. One was I had, I was living in San Diego and, um, there was a bridge near my house. I lived down right downtown and I would drive under this bridge to get to my house every single day. And there was a, there, there was a group of men who lived underneath the bridge and I would drive by my house and I can be pretty compelled towards like over helping. So sometimes I, I've learned like not every time I, go, oh, I should do something. Is it really from Jesus? <laughs> right. Sometimes it's just my need to play Savior. Uh-huh. Um, so on this particular day, I drove by and I heard, Gary, I think you should bring them dinner. And I was like, no, thanks. And I kept going. <laughs> um, I'm like, it's under a bridge. I am a single woman. This is dark. It's not safe. So then the next time I drove by, I heard it again. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a nice idea. No, no, thanks. Um, the third time I heard it, I would, I had a friend in the car with me and I out loud with her in the car, not knowing any of this, I said, fine, I'll do it. And she looks at me and says, um, who are you talking to? I'm like, oh, sorry. I'm like, I've heard the same idea three times now. I think I need to bring dinner to the men who live here. And she goes, okay, let's do it together. Oh, so nice. She and I um, brought dinner to these three men who became my friends, Bob, Mike, and Bongo. And um, that night, we sat around and had a conversation. The next night, um, I just stopped by to say hi. Uh, through the course of a couple of months, these men became friends. They came to uh, my church with me. They... Um, uh, one in particular, he and I became actually, I would say, pretty good friends. I cared deeply about him. I found him one day just weeping on the side of the street, and I got out of my car and, and asked him what he needed. And he's like, I need to go home. So I asked him about home. Mm. And um, and we ended up saying, I, I said, okay, then I want to match you dollar for dollar till you can get a bus ticket to go home. Wow. And the next day we end up, um, uh, I end up looking for him and he's not under the bridge anymore. And I couldn't find him. I couldn't find him anywhere. I couldn't, I would drove all over the city looking for my friend. I, I, and I could not find him. And I was preoccupied with finding him. I had made this promise. I missed my friend. Was he okay? Was he safe? All of that. And, um, one, one day I just happened to be near my front door and I looked out my window and he was walking right by my house. So I ran outside and he's like, Carrie, you would never believe it. I bought my own bus ticket. I'm going home on, on Wednesday. Wow. And so, um, my friends and I hosted this big goodbye party for him. Um, basically to make a long, uh, a long story as short as I can. Um, he showed up at my house the day before he was supposed to leave. And, um, and we spent three hours on my front stoop and he went back and forth between like panic about going home, reliving memories of the past two years on the street, um, feeling shame, feeling excitement, feeling fear. And, um, and he gave me a phone number and said, Hey, would you, when I walk away from here, will you call this number and tell them I'm coming home? Mm. And I said, of course, of course I'll call them. And, um, we hug and I'm like, you better call me when you get home. And um, I called the phone number, not knowing really what to expect. I didn't know what the story was that com- that um, had him become um, homeless and um, that brought him to the street. And he was from Iowa. <laughs> and um, I call and I say, hi, you don't know me. My name is Carrie Jenkins. And um, your uncle gave me your phone number, and he wants you to know he's on his way home. And the first thing out of her mouth was, you love Jesus, don't you? Wow. 
She's like, we've been praying for you for three years. Oh. And, um, and he ended up going home. He called me when he got there. And, um, and so I was like, oh, every single one of those led. It was not about me ever in the process. It was really about the Lord. It was about the Lord said, Carrie, I want you to go and, and, and feed these men. And then um, it led towards him getting off of the street, reconciling with his family. And it began. It was life that beget life that beget life. Yeah. And so when I started to see that pattern of, oh, when I, and when I feel internally a sense of striving to help somebody, then, um, then actually that probably isn't Jesus. He, there's like a drawnness as opposed to a drivenness. Yeah. It's the voice of the Lord. And so I felt drawn and compelled as opposed to driven and striving. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I, I kind of was like, "What did I learn from that?" And um, and that was one of those of going, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna listen." And if the same idea pops in my head more than once, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something with it. I'll say, "Is this gonna lead towards life?" And I usually ask that question of the Lord, like, "Is this, is this from you? Is it going to lead towards life?" Um, and I pay attention to what's going on within me because I can, I can make a lot of things sound great, Right. Um, but is my posture, is my internal, um, self, am I going, Ooh, if I do this, I'm going to become something or is this, yeah. Ooh, I'm going to do this in response to something. Right. So what I love that is you're, you're saying, is it about me and my identity and who I want to be, right? Mm-hmm. And how I'm going to glorify myself? Or is it about how I think God wants me to be in the world for, you know, interacting with other people and being just his, his vessel for, you know, blessing people? Yeah. Um, man, I love that. I think it's what I, what, I, so a couple of things I want to just point out. One is you're saying, um, you're saying, I, I don't always just trust because I have a feeling about something or have something like, but not in a way that's negative. Because what one of my hobby horses is when Christians get on this, uh, you know, kick of saying, hey, I can't trust myself or I can't trust feelings or I can't trust, right? That's ridiculous. You have feelings on purpose. God uses them. You need to, yeah. you don't distrust them. Ask questions. Use them as a, as a barometer. And so you're not doing that. You're saying, no, I pay attention. And Sometimes it's from God and sometimes I have to ask the question, is this really something I'm trying to do for me or is it something that I think God's asking me to do? And I just think that's so fantastic. What a great example. The other thing is I love how God um, answered your objections, right? Like, so you had this object, I'm a single woman. I'm not going under a bridge to minister to three, you know, men under the homeless men, right? Not going to do it. Um, And rightfully so. I mean, come on, like, who's going to blame you for that? But God said, okay, I can, I can fix that. And so he puts you in a car with a, you know, your friend and your friend's like, well, I'll do it with you. Let's go. Oh, you see that with Elijah when Elijah was all upset and he runs off after the, after the, um, the confrontation with Baal, you know, and he's all depressed and he's like, I'm the only one. And, you know, I'm not, I'm useless. And, you know, he has all these objections, all these things. And God says, God's response to him to go here, do that, and then go say this to the kid. Like, he answers every single objection. I just think it's so beautiful. And then to have a real-life example just right here in your story. It's not like yeah. he's being um, – he's not going, oh, Carrie, if you would only trust me, you uh, – Right. Like, it's more like, all right, all right. I had another experience probably – it was about a year later where um, I – had felt prompted to do something. I ignored the prompting for five days. Every single day, I woke up, same prompting. Every, I mean, for a whole week. By the end of the week, I'm like, fine, I'll do it. And I, I, end, up, I end up doing it. And like, incredible. I mean, like, it was so beautiful to watch what happened as a result of that, like, act of submission. Um, but it was actually, there was a poignant moment where one of the women that I interacted with um, had, um, she had had a loss of a relative just the, the day before, and she needed that interaction on that particular day. She actually needed the interaction on Friday. And I'm mm. like, oh, 
Jesus started telling me on Sunday, and he counted for my ignoring him. <laughs> like, I can't trump him. Like, I, I, I don't actually, he, wow. and that for me was one of the most, it, it just brought so much freedom. Like, the, the Lord knows that I am going to say no at times. And he doesn't, he's like, all right, I'm going to give her enough time to say yes. And I was there at the exact time in the exact moment with the exact person that I needed <laughs> to be with. And I'm like, oh, you're like, you're bigger than I account for. Right. Like, yeah. but how cool is that? I just think that's, you know, we, we want to hold God at arm's length or we think that, okay, he's, you know, um, I don't know, just wanting us to, to do these things. And if we don't, he's mad at us. Like, we, like you said earlier, there's no shame here. Like we, I think we read, um, you know, like when Peter falls, he goes out on the water and then he falls and Jesus says, Oh, you, you little, you have little faith, right? Why did you doubt? Right. But we read that so harshly to Peter, but tone makes a huge difference. I mean, what if he, what if he said it with a endearing tone because he was proud of Peter? Well, that changes the whole interaction. Right. And that's what I hear you talking about. Like, no, God even accounted for what I was going to do because he knew what I was going to do. He knows me and he knows what I, where we're going to end up. Yeah, I think that the tone piece has been something that for me that has shifted throughout my years. Yeah. Of when I was little, especially like the story of God in the garden. Um, when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. And my, I was always taught, where are you? You know, yeah, right. angry. Like, where are you, you bad children? Like, what, what, what did you do? Because we all have that experience, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then to go, oh, well, wait a minute. God was actually seeking, re- he, like, the, there was a, the death happened in relationships. So it just instantly, it's like when you know instantly there's a relationship that's broken or you're sitting with someone that you are intimately connected with and they're, they don't feel like they're there anymore. And you just want to look at them and say, where are you? Like, where did you go? You're not connected with me anymore. And yeah. So um, I started doing, going back through scripture and reading all the, the texts where I, I would feel the anger and like uh, pointing blame of God and going, I want to go back and just reread that again and look for the tone. Yeah. Like, what tone was I taught? What tone might actually be present there? Oh man. So good. Right. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. When I, somewhere along the line, I think shortly after seminary, cause you learn when you're in school, one way of reading. Right. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the line, kind of right at the end, maybe, I I realized scripture is for something different. You know, like in school, I always assumed that scripture was for me to find a principle or a, something God wants me to do, right? These kind of things, um, which is, I guess that's how we often use it. But I started to think, well, what if this is, if it's revelation, God is revealing himself. What if I just ask the question, what is God saying to me about who he is in this experience? And so that, that kind of prompted the same kind of thing, right? Like, oh, that's, that's interesting. So, you know, when you read scripture in that way, it's a whole different kind of a, kind of a thing. You get a different sense of God's heart, I think. And then when you have experiences with his heart, it changes you. Oh, it for sure does. I did a, they, I led a group one time through the book of Mark and, um, and the, the question was, what is Jesus, what is this in story of Jesus telling me about who Jesus is and what is it telling me about who I am? And I, I find that we get so cerebral, like we want to know all the, we want to know a lot of facts. And I'm like, oh, if I want to know somebody, it's very rarely cerebral. It is often like, what am I seeing? What am I feeling? What am I encountering? Right. So I'm like, well, let's, why don't we get curious about Jesus the way maybe a script writer would in writing the character description of someone for a movie. I'm like, so let's first just pay attention to all the verbs attached to the name of Jesus. So um, I had, we all ended up writing down, going through the whole book of Mark, writing down every verb attached to the name of Jesus. Jesus came, he went, he said, he healed all that. And then the next question was, how did he do it? And who was it for? Mm. 
And then um, what did he say about himself? What did he, how did he respond to other people when they said something about who he was or what they, what he was doing? Yeah. And, and at the end I had us all write character descriptions. Like we were writing, this is what the character of Jesus would look like. And oh my gosh, just getting that curious in a different way of saying like, oh, if I was to describe one of my best friends, I would not say, these are the facts that I've learned. He, they were born on this day. This is what they believe about this and this. I would say, this is their way. This is how mm-hmm. I got to, they're, they're so kind and compassionate. And I love their creativity and all of those things. And I'm like, oh, I don't know those things about Jesus. And those things you get to know when you spend time with a person or you get to know their story. I'm like, I actually want to read this as a story and get yeah. to know him as opposed to a science book totally. to dissect him. Totally. Oh, I love that. that. I did that with Mark last year. I read Mark yeah. all year. That was my. That was the only thing I read in the scripture. It took me the whole year. And in fact, I put off like the crucifixion and stuff for like a month and a half because I didn't want to read it because I, I, I just experienced Jesus in a whole new way and I didn't want him to die. I get it. You know, theologically, there's good reasons for that, but I didn't want to go through it with him. Um, so I get, man, I get that. That resonates with me a lot. Um, okay. So you, you know, what we didn't say, like, I want to, I want to go more into your story. I, I told you we probably would go off on this stuff and I knew we would because we have that connection, but yeah. what, um, so you, you met someone who kind of became a mentor for you. It's going way back. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of started to discover these, these other things and how to, how to listen. Um, you know, did you ever have like a dark night of the soul or a time spiritual desert time? You know, that's kind of a important season in our lives. Yeah. Um, yes, I would say I've, I don't know if I've had more than one or if I've just had, or if I just had one really long one, Um, in 2011, actually, I found myself, um, I prayed a prayer out of an experience with the Lord that was, um, Jesus, I asked that you'd strip me of anything I place value and identity in apart from you. Wow. And I meant it. <laughs> and um, so from really from 2011, from the moment I prayed that, I it ended up I moved to Denver. Um, in moving to Denver, um, some things vocationally didn't turn out the way that I thought they were going to. I ended up um, living in my parents' basement for a couple of years, which as a 30-something, not really fun. Right. Um, and I ha- so much of my life was hospitality-driven, and I didn't have a home, so I had to, like, I couldn't, mm. I didn't have a home. And then my car broke down and had to be sold for parts in the middle of Utah. And <sighs> I didn't have a car. And my, I had a relationship and that was really hard. And I had, um, I mean, it was layer after layer after layer of anything that I could have put value and identity in apart from him. And it was like he kept the sticky note right in front of me that said, you, you asked me. <laughs> and it was kind it wasn't like you asked me it was it was remember like remember yeah, yeah. this is for a purpose but there was one night in the middle of all of this i i mean the depths of what was being brought up inside of me was i mean dark and sad and i was i mean so sad and i couldn't fall asleep one night and i just was um angry and sad and lost. And did, did I mess it up? Did I not hear you correctly? Um, I closed all the windows in my house. It was the middle of summer and I didn't, didn't have air conditioning. So I went into and I cleared, I closed all the windows and I closed all the blinds and it was like three in the morning. And I'm like, fine, is this all you want? Cause this is all I have. And I'm like yelling at him and saying, <laughs> Lord, this is all I have. Like me, like, I don't have anything else. I don't have anything else. Like I can't, I can't do anymore. And um, he had this teeny tiny whisper, Carrie, that's all I ever wanted. And um, I mean, it, and then it it continued. I continued more and more and more to be undone 
it, it was probably a solid five years of undoing um, and remarkably painful. Wow. And um, really dark, questioned a lot of things. Um, I never questioned the Lord's love for me in so far as saying, I don't believe you love me. I questioned like, you love me because I'm useful. You love me because I'm this, like there were a lot of things I added on to it. Um, So getting to the, Oh, you just love me um, for no reason at all, other than you created me and, you lo- you just like me. You think I'm you think I'm really fun to be around, and <laughs> you think my quirks are like great because you actually made them, and um, and so to oh, and you enjoy me like that idea that the oh, Lord man. delights in me and He enjoys me and He wants to be around me for no other reason than He just does, and um, it's like oh, I. Uh, I didn't know that. He felt pretty distant through a lot of that time. Um, but I, it's interesting. Um, I had this sense that he was, the reason I couldn't, I didn't have a tangible feeling of him is because he was, he was so near that it was like we, we were becoming one in an even deeper oh, yeah. way. So there wasn't an external learning of like seeing of him because it was all he had moved. There had been this movement of becoming more and more like one with him. Um, but it was like his voice was silenced. I do all this for someone who like has loved to hear from the Lord that, that quieting of his voice was really, really hard for me. Yeah. Uh, and I would say now I'm remarkably thankful for that season and not in a like, oh, Jesus is so great. So I'm so thankful. Kind of like light religious discounting of the experience. Yep. Um, but in this who I am now, it is I am untethered much of the time <laughs> to the same things that at one point in time I found my identity and my um my value in. And, um, and so identity has actually become a pretty big, it's a, it is, I feel like it's the song I'm supposed to sing with my life. Wow. Uh, speaking identity over people. Okay. So tell me about that. Like what, because I think this is, this might be the single most important thing that any believer can go through, right? That any believer can come to grips with who I am in Christ, who I am, mm-hmm. how God loves me, any human being, maybe. We don't have to have restricted to Christians. Um, so, like, press into that. Like, what, like well, so what does that mean? How do, you, how do you tell people their identity? Or what would you say even maybe to our audience who's listening? Mm. Um, can I tell a story to illustrate it? Yes, by all means. That's what we do here. Um. So I, last year I went to this tiny little town in Spain that I have done some work in in the past, but I went to um, go finish my book up before I, um, before it needed to be turned in. And, um, and I had a handful of friends there, uh, one of which is a, a woman who is an American who lives in this tiny community now, and we, um, she invited me to be a part of of a writer's group with her. I joined the writer's group. We, um, the first day, um, they, everyone's like, well, let's all share what we're writing with Carrie. So one person says, one person says, oh, I'm writing about this demon. This is their name. They like first showed up in history at like this season, blah, blah, blah. The next person I'm so-and-so, I'm writing about my past lives. I've been reincarnated several times. This is kind of where I am. The next person was, um, my name is so-and-so. I write, um, I write wildly erotic literature. <laughs> <laughs> the next person says, oh, I'm writing just short stories about life in, in this small town. And, and, then, um, and then they're like, well, what do you write about? And I, I said, oh, well, 
I write about Jesus <laughs> and, um, and as it's told by his friend, John, and um, they're like head snap. Well, that doesn't mean you're a Christian, does it? Oh, oh, I really love Jesus. I really love Jesus. And I believe he's the way and the truth and the life that I follow. And they're like, oh, all right, that's cool. And, uh, <laughs> and we end up in this conversation and, and everyone starts to talk about Jesus. So one guy was saying, well, Jesus is a yogi, you know that. And the, another person was saying, like, mm. a, like looking for a connection to Jesus the whole time. And then eventually it comes back around and they're like, isn't it amazing that we all can feel, we all can feel and believe whatever we want. And it, it just, um, it just works out. Like we get to be who we are and who we are, all of who we are is just perfect, just the way it is. And, um, and I'm sitting there going, Lord, I, I want to have the right words to be able to speak what I believe is true um, and to not in any way say, well, you know, you're wrong. Um, I right. want to like reveal something as opposed to like teach something. So right then, one of the, guy, one of the, the guys in the circle said, well, that's all fine and dandy until you go home with your family and they tell you who, they, who you really are. And I go, that, that is why I care about Jesus, because that is the place where I get to be told who I am. I'm like, our family, our heritage, our um, profession, what we are capable of doing, what we're not capable of doing, what we own and what we don't own, the voice of other people. None of those things will ever be able to um, to be our true identity because when they are, um, our identity is the source of our value. And if all of those things are the source of our value, then we will always end up in a place of shame and unacceptability. I'm like, so the reason why I believe and I love Jesus in the way of Jesus is because he gets to tell me who I am. He tells me, you're my child. I tell you who you are and who you are is loved and valued and accepted and known. I'm like, and that leads towards humility and freedom where I just live out of that. Instead of serving opinions of people around me, I get to rest in who I am as a child. And, um, and one of the women there said, well, that is really good news. And I just started laughing. I was like, it is. It's, it's actually really good news. It is literally the good news. It is the good news. And I think um, so often when we talk about identity, what I know, notice, um, whether it's culturally or even sometimes within, within the Christian realm, is that we talk about our attributes as our identity. So we talk about um, where we come from. We talk about so many things as a source of our identity. Um, and, and then we actually will either judge people or welcome people based upon their false self, their false identity. Right. So, so you can come here, but you have to change this. You can be a part of us, but you have to be different than this. You have to, um, oh, we kind of do things this way. That's not who you are. Um, we're going to put up, this is who we are. You either like it or you don't. Jesus's message to us was to um, turn around and believe in me. So right. for me, um, that's, exactly what, that's exactly what God wanted to do in the garden. When he came and asked, where are you? All he wanted was for them to turn around and say, look at him in the face and say, oh, I lost you. And I lost me. And I actually believed with that lie instead of believed what you told me. Right. Um, I'm really sorry. <laughs> and it's a, it, and that, so then throughout the whole story of scripture, there was this invitation, turn around, like turn around and believe me. Right. And so here's Jesus who comes like repent and believe in John one, where, where John writes to those who, Receive in those who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called children of God. Um, children not born of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Um, he took away all of the false identities in that. Natural descent, human decision, 
husband's will, but no, you're born of me. Um, turn around, turn around again, turn around and look to me. And I think that is the, the invitation around identity. It's, it's not like, it, it's not this big thing of work to do. It literally is turn around and let Jesus tell you who you are. And it is good news, and it wow. will always be good news. Yeah, amen. Okay, so, you know, I could talk about that all day, but what's one way that our listeners, our friends here, could use to, like, just find themselves in Christ and to find their, their identity in Christ in that way? Well, it actually is tied to listening for me. When you, we learn to listen to the voice of Jesus, um, in John 10, it also talks about— um, I knowing the shepherd's voice. And when we begin to know the voice of the shepherd, we can actually begin to know what does he say about who we are. It will always lead towards goodness, truth, and beauty. Always. Um, so I would do a practice of learning to get curious with Jesus. <laughs> what does he say about who he is and who I am? Um, and because of that, I mean, that I would, I would just go through John or Mark and say, I'm going to read it little story by story. Yeah. I'm going to write, to, I'm going to get curious. What is this saying about who Jesus is? What does this say about who I am? And the more that we sit in um, who Jesus is, who I am, the more I'm able to actually have an, an idea when something comes to me and I'm beginning to feel like, my value is attached to it. Um, oh, that's lying to me. That's lying to me. It's not telling me the truth. So I can, because I, I know what Jesus says about who I am. Um, and it takes time and, and practice to begin to become familiar with that voice. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Um, what about uh, your book? So we mentioned your book, Listen and Live. Mm-hmm. And people can get that. I've got links to that at uh, halfwaytherepodcast.com. You can get it on Amazon. So um, people can get that. So does that take them into kind of the, the idea of listening as well? It does. It is roughly based on uh, an old practice, um, Benedictine monk practice, actually, called Lectio Divina. Yeah. And, uh, and it is this practice of listening to a small portion of scripture and see what's highlighted. So it's, it's roughly based on that practice. The way that it's set up is, um, is there's a scripture, then there's what I felt like I heard from the Lord in it. Um, and then there are two questions. What do you hear and how will you respond to what you hear? And then at the very end, I wrote a little, um, prompt for living in response to what I had heard. So, um, it's, let me absorb something from what I hear from Jesus or what I think I hear from Jesus. Um, and then how will it invite me to live differently today? Uh, and so instead of big, like taking big sweeping looks at things, it's actually pretty minute. There are 215 individual readings through yeah. the book of John. Yep. So it's a slow move through the book. Um, and for some people, that feels intimidating. Um, and for other people, it's a, oh, I want to accomplish something. So I don't feel like I'm moving through the book very quickly. Right. Um, so that, like, to just even pay attention to that. What's the thing that is uncomfortable about? Not yeah. I love that. That is, the book right away. Right. That is exactly what I did uh, with Mark last year, right? Just going through it bit by bit by bit. I'm in Jeremiah now. So I love that. Yeah. Um, okay, friends. So you can you can get that, like I said, at halfwaytherepodcast.com or at um, at uh, at Amazon. You can go where, wherever you can get books. I think you can get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also got links in the show notes to both Urban Sky and Carrie's website, where if you want to know more or connect with her, uh, Carrie, anything you want to leave us with? As we learn to listen, we get to know how great the Father's love is really for us, and we want to live out of that to like become people who bless over and over and over again. And so listening first blesses us. And then it ends up, we, Dallas Willard talks about being a people of blessing and 
and that we get to like then live in response to that being people of blessing in the world and and that's a whole different topic for a whole nother yeah but it is um it is the way of life of goodness truth and beauty and so i just want to bless people with that be blessed in who you are believe in in the goodness of the lord and his posture towards you will always be filled with loving kindness and um and may your life be full of blessings. I love that. Thank you, Carrie. Friends, our life, my identity, your identity, Carrie's identity is found in Jesus and what he thinks of you. And that's it. So do everything you can to hunt that down to experience it. Carrie, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, hey, Carrie, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Friends, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, if this encouraged you, if it made you change your mind or have some uh, epiphany or good thought, hey, let me know. Go ahead, hit us up on Instagram at Halfway There Podcast and let us know. Just comment on the episode. Tell us what you thought. Uh, and again, you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com hit the support button if you'd like to give at Patreon at any level. You get an extra bonus conversation. So if you enjoy the show, now you can get even more. Hey, friends, thanks so much for tuning in. I'll catch you next week. Until then, keep the faith.